day, young activists, and welcome to yet another episode of Activating Youth Activist. And today I will be your host, Simpiwe Masilo, and I'm interviewing Cassandra Moodley, founder of ChangeAgents.za and one of my old friends. Ah. Okay, great. So I'm genuinely very excited to be having this conversation about racism in South African schools. It's a heavy and hectic and very relevant topic. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. I'm very excited to be having you here. I think just to start us off, I wanted to ask you, who is Cassandra Moodley? How do you get into activism and how do you find yourself in this space where you're having these type of conversations? Um, so my name is Cassandra Nontlantla Mudli, um, and I'm transracially adopted. And I think growing up in a country like South Africa, where race is such a big deal and such a polarizing topic at times, um, it's been an interesting experience for me growing up, being black and living in, with, you know, having an Indian family, but growing up in a very white society. I've kind of had a lot of opportunity to just observe and both be within and without, um, if that makes sense. And it's, it's yes. always given me an interesting perspective just on race relations um the dynamics and how people sort of shift when when you have this additional you know lens through which which they view you you know um mm. and so for me, the topic of race has always been really really relevant but I think in terms of activism I've really got to give credit to my parents because they've always been really active citizens um not just voting but making sure they go beyond the ballot um, just being really active community members. Um, my dad used to be a ward counselor, so I grew up kind of in the whole political thing, um, and I'm super grateful for it. But I think that's really where I've, I've drawn a lot of strength and confidence in speaking out, is just having that example set for me from a really, really young age. Um, and I think just over time, you kind of realize if I'm not having these conversations, who will? Um, and having those conversations and, and surrounding yourself with people who think like you and don't think like you um, makes for like a really interesting, an interesting environment. And, and yeah, I've just, I've always really enjoyed having these conversations. And I figured, you know, let's see how we can make that work. Let's see how we can actually create something around it. And so Change Agents, which is my activism channel, was was born. Yeah. Wow. That's, I actually enjoy that. And also like, um, describing yourself as a um, a black woman being adopted by Indian parents growing up in a predominantly white area for you can you walk us through your schooling life and what that was like for you sure um, so I went to so I grew up in Durban let's just yes. start there for your audience and for some context um, grew up in a little place called Glen Ashley, which is very, as it might sound, um, very suburban, yes. um, which means that we were one of maybe three or four families on my entire street that were of color, mm -hmm. which is always interesting. Um, yeah, I think maybe the first instance of realizing that we're not the same as everybody else came around Diwali every year. Yeah. Um, and the little comments like, I hope you won't be doing, you know, the noise this year type yeah. of thing. And it was a bit like, oh, okay, this is, there's a vibe here. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of school, school, I went to Northlands Primary, also quite diverse. And then high school, I went to Danville, um, which is a pretty well-known public school in, in KZN. Mm -hmm. um, 
with the caveat that it is kind of one of the best public schools in South Africa. They literally have an award. <laughs> um, so you can imagine it's it's quite diverse in terms of its socioeconomics. Um, and it's quite diverse in terms of the people and, and the students that it attracts. So that was my high school experience where I think um, the ideas of identity and assimilation really started to play out. I don't think we noticed it as much in primary school, but mm. definitely in high school. Um, yeah, the identity politics definitely became a thing. Mm. That's interesting because, I mean, I also like grew up in a predominantly white area, Stellenbosch. I think that kind of says mm. it all. Um, and I remember my first incident of really just um, taking notes of the fact that I am different from my other peers was in primary school. In fact, when one of the boys um, said to me, and to him it was just a very innocent comment. And he said to me that I would like you and I would have a crush on you if you weren't black. And I remember not really understanding what that meant until I got home and my parents explained it to me, um, but also still not really gathering what that meant because I was only eight years old. Um, and then going into high school where it wasn't, it was still, it was more diverse. Um, Rhenish Girls High, they also were one of those like big bragging schools, like the oldest girls school in South Africa. Um, and it was, they also try to be, yeah, <laughs> try to be more diverse, but um, it, it still lacked in the sense that in my matric year, out of the entire class of 25 students, I was one of five kids of color sitting in that classroom. Wow. Exactly. And then realizing that, like you said, if we're not having these conversations, then who will? So when you're sitting in your high school area and you're realizing um, what's happening and you, you start to make sense of it, what is the first step of action that you were taking then so are you saying back in high school what action was I taking then yes when you started noticing like the more of the racism going around if there was any that you were noticing sure okay so first I'm going to quickly comment on what you were saying yes um about primary school that is so wild because you actually just <laughs> reminded me so when I was thinking of, of this conversation, I was thinking about like what the schools themselves yeah. as an institution sort of inflict on you, but interpersonally amongst kids, 100% primary school, absolute first experience. We must've been around like five. Mm. Um, and we wanted to play a princess game. And one of the white girls basically just said, look, you guys can't play, you know, to the black girls because there are no princesses that look like you. <gasps> Yeah. that happened <laughs> and then in grade three I remember this so vividly one of my friends said to me and another friend of mine another mm. black friend of mine a white girl saying that ordinarily her parents would not allow black people into their home but she checked and they said they were okay with the two of us wow. coming over sure Crazy. And these are like, these are the reason why I'm starting off with these incidences, because it then leads into the bigger picture of the schooling system as well. 100%. Um, so those are the incidences I remember very, very vividly from primary school. And um, yeah, but that was just by the way. So yeah. in terms of these conversations, I've got to be honest and be aware, I don't think we were having these conversations in, in high school, even mm. when we noticed things. Yeah. Um, I think 
we were really focused on assimilation. Mm. Um, and it's embarrassing. Like my it's- politics from back then was so embarrassing. <laughs> uh, so you know how they like sort of grade students according to their marks or whatever the case. I, I totally disagree with that system, but we had different sets. And so we would have like an A class and a B class and so on and so forth. Yes. Um, and so from grade 10 onwards, I was the only black student in, in the A class. And that continued all the way. Wow. Till the yeah. Um, and I remember, whew, y'all triggering me today. <laughs> so obviously, matric, you know, grade 11 matric, um, it's really competitive in those classes. You know, we're all applying to go to different universities for different courses um, and some of us are getting provisional acceptances, you know, yeah. and um, I was made to feel like I was only getting provisional acceptance because I was black. Mm. Um, I stopped sharing, you know, we would all share like, oh, hey, got this news today. I stopped sharing with my class, especially around things like getting into sets like medicine and like really competitive um, degree courses. Um, yeah getting res acceptance, didn't say anything. Um, It was a really isolating time. Um, Mm. And I don't think my teachers helped in the fact that we were continuously ranting and raving against quotas and BE and we're very much for a meritocracy without really kind of understanding how that might sideline deserving students in any case. And mm. I remember just sitting there thinking like, we're all here because we have similar marks, but I'm the one who yeah. is hand out. Like, make it make sense. It, you know it, what I the mean? math isn't math thing. It's, it really wasn't. And that was a problem because my maths was mathing. Okay. <laughs> you know, it, it, it reminds me also of just, my similar incidents to that was when in grade seven um they were announcing prefects and i got announced as prefect and i remember a lot of the students were saying that the only reason i was a prefect was because i was black so it it, it takes away from the accolade of the fact that no we got these positions because we deserve them and not because they were a handout as you were saying sure sure it starts early it's, um, and it's really interesting like how quickly um, non-black students pick up on on that sort of language that's really mm-hmm. minimizing um, which is it's very interesting which is exactly so I think there was another question you'd ask me and I don't think I've, I've answered it very well um, but <laughs> no 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 you actually did answer it very well actually um, and it, it, it allows me to move on to the next question because you were saying how um, you it was more sense of assimilation than actually trying to tackle the problem which I think yeah. if we're looking at the bigger picture right now in the schooling system um, it is a lot of trying to assimilate black students into the racism that's happening and kind of blindsiding them from realizing that these microaggressive moments are racist and there's no right. other way to put it Um, Which brings me back to what I said earlier on about why I started off with these stories so that people can actually see that this is what we're talking about when we're speaking about the microaggression and the racism within the schooling systems in South Africa. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So with that said, if we're starting now at a younger age, because honestly speaking, you've opened my mind to realizing that it's not just in high school system. It doesn't just start and end there all the way from preschool. How do we begin to dismantle that thinking within not just the students, but the teachers taking active role in doing something about it? Do you know what? Um, so I think, first of all, like it's wild to me, but I think teachers need to be given sensitivity and diversity training. I don't, I don't remember my teachers ever having gone through anything like that. And I just, it, it's absolutely ridiculous to me because at the end of the day, we're all human. And mm. yes, you know, we might be sitting on the other side of the fence here, um, but we're not innocent either. Some people, every single person has yeah. unchecked, unprocessed bias, right? That's just how it is. Let's not even call it racism right now. Let's just work with unchecked bias. We all have a prejudice towards or against certain people. What's familiar and what we know is what we gravitate towards, okay? And going into an environment where you're going to bring your unchecked bias and your unchecked prejudice into a situation where you're dealing with a diverse group of kids whose lives you are directly influencing, who, whose minds you're molding and whose attitudes and, and belief systems you're entrenching, um, not having checked that bias first to me is wild. So there was a study done in the United States on kindergarten teachers. And so Basically, they were trying to get them to understand that, yes, as a teacher, you come into the classroom, you think you're treating everyone fairly, but you're actually not. And what it found was that um, Black boys were considered thuggish and akin to criminal behavior as early as at the age of five, oh. as opposed to white students who were considered to just be playful, boisterous, a little loud. Um, it's crazy. And I, I will, before you publish this, try and find that study so that we can back it up. Yes. But um, it's wild. So yeah. you, they found that Black kids in kindergarten would be punished more often, shouted at more often. Um, teachers were more sensitive to Black kids raising their voices or stepping out of line. Um, and so they would be penalized that early on in life. That early on. That you're already indoctrinated from that mind state at five that you absolutely. are a danger to society just by existing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's crazy to me because I really think in a country as racialized and as, as racially sensitive as South Africa that every single teacher, regardless of their skin color, goes through some sort of training where they are checking their prejudice, where they are checking their mm. bias. Mm. Um, I find it is a massive, massive problem because moving on to like high school and um, even primary school, teachers making comments to to groups of black girls that, hey, you're not in the hill, you're not like in the villages here, you know, mm. keep your voice down. I mean, that's blatantly racist, but it's just this graduation of of things and and that thing is is unchecked bias and prejudice. I mean, so that the first thing is that I, I feel like every teacher should go through some sort of diversity and sensitivity and inclusion training. The second thing is just actually increasing the representation of teachers of color in diverse school settings. Um, yes. I look at my high school now, it's, you know, it's been almost 10 years, literally in like two years will be 10 years since I left high school. 
and you still cannot find a black female teacher or a black male teacher. I mean, we hardly have male oh. teachers, so I'll leave that up. Yes. But you can hardly find a black female teacher outside of the Zulu department. Mm. And it is crazy to me. Mm. It is absolutely crazy to me. So I think one of the things that would help is having that representation and having more black teachers who are teaching English, having black teachers who are teaching maths and geography and history. Um, I mean, I'm not even talking about South Africa, but in case yes. I've never had a black teacher, a subject teacher. I've never had a black teacher. My whole high school career, my whole primary school career. That is, and it also just, I think, I remember like for primary school when we were doing COSA instead because we had they were qualified COSA teachers who were black but instead the school decided to hire a white teacher to teach us and I remember choosing not to study at all because it, it to me I find it embarrassing that I can go to class and correct you on your pronunciation as my COSA teacher because the school refused to hire someone who could actually teach me properly and even in high school I remember um, the few black kids in our grade, how much we celebrated when we had our first black science teacher who after then a few months just disappeared. No explanation from the school whatsoever. She just was gone, no more. And I think it, it, that lack of representation needs to be heavily dealt with, but who do we hold accountable for that? And I think such a good point but as you're speaking about a teacher who just disappeared, I mean, well, it is hard being the first and being the only. Yeah. I can't imagine what those staff room dynamics were like. Um, and it's a lot of pressure to put on one teacher, mm. you know? That's insane. Whether she left of her own free will or, or because it was whatever the case might have been, I can't imagine it was an easy situation for her either. You no, know? Yeah. I remember we, we, we definitely spoke about that and we, we definitely had those conversations about why she wouldn't, like why she'd leave or um, what that dynamic okay. was. And it was also for me interesting what the white students' responses were to that entire situation. And a lot of it was, you guys are thinking too deeply into it. Not everything is about race. I hate that line. Oh my gosh, you literally live in South Africa. Like, you understand? It's a racialized country. I'm like, are you mad? Where do you think you live? Sorry, but that just is what it, it absolutely infuriates me that people still think like that. But anyway, um, sorry. So I was going to get back to those solutions. So yeah, I yes. think the second thing would be to increase representation so that it's not foreign that mm. you're being taught. A critical subject by someone of a different skin color. I think it's really important for white students. I think it's a critically important for black students. Um, and I believe a lot in social mirrors. So I think that for a lot of us, seeing someone who looks like us in a certain position or in a, yeah, in a certain position opens that possibility up for us as well. Mm. Um, so I think social mirrors are really, really important. Um, and yeah. I think... Yeah. For me, what bothers me the most, and it's it's something that I've been trying to get a grip on through like my process of like activism as well, is the sense of who do we hold accountable for the lack of representation? Who do we hold accountable 
for the lack of sensitivity training in schools. And also just when we're looking at the constitutions of the school, who is held accountable for how those constitutions are written and when do they change? And I think also more specific, yeah, sorry, more specifically for students of color within the schooling system. And now that we've left and we can kind of look back and just realize how many moments of racism and microaggression we experienced during those moments. What do we do about the situation, especially in schools where they say to us, our constitution has been like this for years. We're not changing it. It's been okay. Wow. So actually my third solution kind of ties in as an answer to this question as well. Oh, okay. So here's where I'm gonna, I'm gonna really reach out to black parents yeah. a little bit. We do not do the whole PTA thing. Okay. Let's just be honest. True. Guys, let's Very true. We do not do the PTA thing and that's got to stop. We mm. need to be in there. Okay. We need to be sitting on the school governing body. We need to be part of the parent teachers association. We need to be part of that mom's club, mm. you know, because that's really where a lot of influence comes from and where a lot of decisions are made. And if you don't have a seat at that table, and if you've never tried to have a seat at the table, it's, you know, you're really doing yourself and your kids a disservice. Very I true. mean, I am shook at what can be pushed through the PTA. You know? <laughs> so let me give you an example. I remember the whole, um, a couple of years ago, I mean, I was already in university, but there was a situation at one of the schools in Johannesburg over the wearing of hijabs. Yes, I remember um, that. Hijabs for Muslim females who wanted to, Muslim girls who wanted to cover up, observe their religious um, rights. And, you know, during the month of Ramadan, observe, you know, what they felt they needed to do. Hmm. I'm not particularly aware of, of all the reasons, but it doesn't really, it doesn't matter. That's their religious right that is granted by the South African constitution. Yes. And so I remember... Danville had always kind of attracted a very moderate slash modern um, Islamic crowd. And mm -hmm. we'd never really had students before who were sort of really staunch and devout Muslims. Yes, they would fast during Ramadan, but I don't ever remember in, you know, in the early five, the first three, four years or so, having students who would have gone on Hajj to Mecca and would have come back and, and done the head wrap and, and the hijab and observed that part of, of the religion. Mm. And so it had never been an issue, right? And then sort of, yeah, around grade 11 matric, there was an, uh, a new group of grade eights that had obviously come in that year. And those girls were particularly, um, staunch Muslims and and quite devout Muslims and they wanted to practice Islam by observing the wearing of the hijab yes so they would come to school um you know kind of it felt to us like all of a sudden but I think there was maybe a religious observation that was happening that week but they'd come to school and suddenly they had head wraps and people were like oh this is cool no one minded however it clashed with the school uniform so they were just wearing plain black headscarves mm -hmm. The school said, you know, this isn't actually, this isn't actually part of our uniform. Mm. What ended up being a social media all over the news crisis in Joburg was very quickly dealt with at our school because one of the mums, one of the head mums at the PTA 
was a Muslim lady. Mm. And she was like, okay, these head wraps do not go according to the school uniform. Let's use leftover material that is part of our school uniform and design head wraps. Done. Within two weeks, they were kitted out. It was never an issue. An issue. And have that kind of representation in the decision-making rooms. I mean, Mm. it's a no-brainer. You know, you're saving kids the trauma. You're saving um, the school, the embarrassment of being ignorant. Um, And I think it's really, really important that as Black parents, we start, I I say we as if I have a kid, guys. I mean, hopefully one day, God willingly, when I am a parent, that's the kind of parent I want to be because that is where decisions are being made. At the PTA. A Mrs. Manga, who is Muslim and can sew and has, you know, a, a seat at that table and has contributed meaningfully towards the school in the past. You know, it's, it's not enough to just show up and say, actually, guys, I need you to listen to me. I need you to listen to me now. No, this is a relationship that you're nurturing. Mrs. Manga had been part of the PTA for many years. Her opinion mm. is respected. Um, and I think, I really think that that's something that we need to start doing. I think yeah. we need to have that representation on student governing bodies. We need to have that kind of representation in the PTAs because that's, it's an important part of, of the, the way the school is run. Mm. That's so true. Yeah. That's really true. And I think, but like once again, we're living in a in a country where, like you said, black parents aren't sitting at the PTA table for whatever reason they choose not to. Um, and that for me is highly problematic. But another issue that's also problematic is we've come to almost see that every single time these issues are brought up in the news and on social media, for some reason, it is almost like the constitution of the schools holds more weight than the constitution of the law when did that start oh, being yeah. a thing why is oh, that yeah. a thing i i i can't tell you why that is a thing i don't know when schools became a law unto themselves it literally is ridiculous to me um and whew, yeah i remember yeah, a tough one. very vividly in grade 10 this is when um zuleka patel and all the other students at pretoria goes high were protesting about the hair issue at their school. I remember that particular day listening to it on the radio. And at that time I had my own Afro app in Bantu Nuts and right there in the car, for some reason I carried my comb with me. I took my Bantu Nuts out and I was like, I will wear it out as the Afro it is. Um, And I remember sitting in class and at that time it was a substitute teacher for history. um, And apparently this goes also back to the sensitivity training you were speaking about, but apparently our headmistress had told the teachers not to speak on that topic. And if any student wanted to mention that topic, they were to just shut it down immediately and not continue wow. at all and just continue teaching as if it was a normal day. Um, and the other one of the other black students in the class, she had dreadlocks. And so her hair was like that as it was. Um, and I remember she brought up that topic and the history teacher said, sorry, no, we can't speak on it. So we're like, okay, fine. We'll leave it at that. Only for two seconds later to be like, but you know what? Those students were wrong because the school rules say A, B, and C, and they were going against it doing X, Y, and Z. And I remember just saying to her, ma'am, are you basically telling me that my hair as it is now, naturally from my scalp, is wrong because of a few words on a piece of paper 
I know she basically looked at me and as well as the girl with dreadlocks and she said, yes, that's exactly what she's telling us. Um, I remember just being so shocked and just so angry and wanting to walk out of her class. And the one girl, she, she actually left and she was crying. I remember the principal um, then called us in, well, called me in and wanted me to relay the story back to what had happened. But at the end of it, you could almost sense that the faults laid on us as the students for wanting to bring that topic up in class and wanting to discuss that topic. Um, and I think my next question then is, for students in those situations where we're silenced when we want to speak about the wrong, what is there to be done? Sure. <laughs> this is tough. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> Trauma. It's such a uh, triggering and traumatic conversation, but it's such a necessary one. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. And I just want to preface this by saying I, I feel so many ways about this and I want to really con- convey my thoughts in a way that makes sense. But it is so, so unfair that Black students even need to be having these conversations. I just want to start with that. Mm. Like I'm 27 and I'm tired. (sighs) I'm tired. Like I'm literally exhausted. And it's because I've been tired for so long, like so long guys. Um, And I just want better for the, for the kids that are in school now and that are still to come. Yeah. Yeah, It is ridiculous that we are even having a conversation about how do we prepare kids to continue fighting battles that should have been won years ago, you know? Yeah. There's something so wrong, like so intrinsically wrong because white kids are not having these conversations. They're not sitting thinking, how do we prepare, you yeah. know, ourselves to, to be ourselves? Mm. And that's essentially what we're we're discussing. Um, mm. How do we make it for us to be ourselves? Oh. Not right. <sighs> it's not right, man. It's not okay. Um, and when I'm um, sorry, before you carry on, when you when you're saying it like that, it just especially when you're saying when we how do we why are we having conversations where we have to prepare to be ourselves? It just reminds me of um, my little sister who's eight now, and it just reminds yeah. me of how. Last year, they were having a school concert and the pictures came out for the school concert. And I remember looking at these pictures and it, it was exactly like in that one Blackish episode, looking at the pictures and just being like, why is the lighting the problem in this picture? Why can I not see my sister clearly in this picture? Yeah. Why am I still saying this about my eight-year-old sister? Wow. You're right. We're, we're having... In, at the end of the day have conversation about how we must prepare to be ourselves it's it really it really makes me emotional because it's like oh it's so unfair simply it's so unfair Whew, but if it must be done then so be it and then if we need to prepare you then let's do it um mm. i think i think it starts really really early um and i think it starts at home you yeah know? I know that like for a lot of our generation, um, it was almost expected that we would just be sort of grateful Mm. um, to have access to these spaces and to these resources and to these schools. But I think affirming from a very young age who kids are and, Mm. and 
how they should be treated is really important because a lot of these things really went over our heads at a young like yes it felt weird but a lot of times I think things went over our heads just because we weren't we weren't affirmed enough in who we were yeah you know Mm. um and as much as I mean there's so much fault with with the, the school policies um our parents were also very quick to be like okay well then relax your hair like let's just get that done mm. then do you know what I mean mm. um and there was quite an appeasing mentality that that had gone on so I think just affirming kids in their blackness from an early age at home so that they can stand strong in who they are is really like the first critical step mm. right I think the second thing is education on microaggressions I think in as much as like we're not the ones who need to be providing that education and putting the burden on black people to continuously explain their humanity is really really exhausting but if we're gonna end the system then there needs to be some education on microaggressions so you know when a teacher says you need to have a flesh colored bra and they really mean something that matches the skin tone of white people you need to question that right and we need to call that out when you say something about my hair I really need you to understand that this is exactly what you're saying and this is how I'm taking it because this is you know it's not just a thing about hair like it's it's a much deeper cultural um and an identity insult identity-based insult mm. and I think we need to be able to openly speak about that I also think oh god it's a lot man <laughs> it honestly is I honestly think that a lot of these conversations need to happen amongst friendship groups as well because we're going to need allies um, and it doesn't help if it's always a black versus white thing mm. that's not going to change anything so having friends who are allies and who do understand and who are able to speak out so that you're not being victimized is really important as well but more importantly I think schools themselves need to really have an overhaul um, and they really need to look into what their their policies are saying consult with the students have a consultative process mm. we live in a democracy right? like the constitution of our country doesn't change without us giving input so why should the constitution of a school change without students giving input very true and i think also for students students also need to question why they're not allowed to question the policies of the school why their schools not having open forums for them to have those consultations about the policies of their schools exactly absolutely um and at the end of the day an education isn't just about learning how to regurgitate information it's about being a critical thinker so if you can't yes. encourage that by practicing it in the schooling environment then you're actually failing at your job true very true wow wow actually <laughs> the more i'm thinking about it the deeper it's starting to sink in now wow and that's and so true surely the sign of an educated young person <laughs> is someone who can read for understanding and question where there isn't yes um, if, you're, if you're shutting that down now you don't really know how you're producing productive active citizens that can go out into the public confidently and meaningfully contribute to society but okay That's, yeah that's at the end of, at the end of the day right now what we're producing is just people who can copy and read a textbook not people who can actually critically think about what's in front of them and obviously that goes beyond just the textbook but that's also just the society you live in absolutely and i think absolutely 
going to what you were saying about being tired, girl, same. I'm also exhausted. I was, I was actually having a conversation with my friend, like a close friend. We've been friends since primary school the other day about my experience with racism. And it was so weird because we went to the same primary school, we went to the same high school, but it was like we had two different experiences. One could swear we didn't go to the same school. And it was, at the end of it, I remember just being so drained by needing to explain the same stories and needing to teach again. And it's almost just like, at this rate, who does the burden fall onto to teach? Because honestly speaking, I think as Black people, we're tired. We're tired of having to say the same thing. We're tired of having to speak up and just say, we just want to be treated like humans. That's it. And if we... (laughs) And it's honestly, it's gotten to a stage where we're tired to the point where we don't, the effort to even talk is no longer there. But if we don't talk, then nothing's going to change. But it also seems like the more we talk, the more we're being ignored in some circles. Oh, 100%. I think people are like, you know, as long as I can just kind of post like a tiny little black square and say like Black Lives Matter, that's great. But I don't actually want to have the discussion because it's a lot. You True. know what I mean? It's- convenience and now I have to think about you and your struggle and I really I'm not trying to do that so how do we convince these schools that are exceptionally predominantly white and have this mindset of and I and it's one thing that I definitely found in my school where um this mindset of I don't want to engage in that topic because I don't want to make a big deal out of nothing type of mindset. How do we engage with them in a way that they have to engage in this topic? They have to actually be sensitive about racism. They have to take these courses and these trainings. I honestly think we need to be like, so one of the organizations that I work with, um, (laughs) one of the leaders always says that we need to be good ancestors. Mm. Um, And that just means even though we're young, we need to be making sure that we're laying a foundation so that when we are older, you know, the ones that come after us can say like, okay, they've left like a certain path and we can kind of follow that, right? So I think it's important that we're good ancestors. I mean, simply where you and I are having this chat, but we're both black and we're both out of school. And we both mm. went to schools that, that showed us flames in this <laughs> We need to be in conversation with our schools. We have enough of a rapport with the institution we've gone through it where some would say semi-successful <laughs> I hope, of the education system and I think that holds weight and I think that holds water and I think we need to we need to be the ones initiating those conversations whether it's dropping an email to the principal requesting a meeting calling in I think we need to be good ancestors and I think we need to say hey look these are some of the things that I experienced at my time here. And I want to make sure that students aren't still feeling the same way. And so I would love to sit down with you and have a conversation where we can kind of isolate um, these in- incidences and, and issues and kind of crack open the system um, and have some dialogue. I don't think we should be leaving it up to 14, 15, 16 year olds. I mean, those are oh. babies. To be fighting for their, their identity politics. Like it's, it's, to me, it's just a bit wild. Um, so yeah, I think we need to be better ancestors. And I think that it's up to us to have these conversations on their behalf, um, knowing what we've been through, knowing what the system does to young black girls and young black boys, some accountability for us in there as well. No, definitely, definitely. There is 
some way for us to also just step up and like you said be great ancestors i i've never thought about it in that regard um especially with that particular phrasing i think i'm gonna run with that as well i might just snatch that from you right (laughs) 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 but i i I want now wanted to ask where we're sitting with a group of young people like you and i who who are now out of school and who can reflect back how do we encourage more Cassandra's, more some people to actually write that email and to say to your school, listen, how do you encourage more ancestors, great ancestors? That's a really good question. I think, I think people care. I think people care um, a lot about this topic. I think when we've seen sort of the social media outpouring of, of stories and, and um, just the, the collective rage and towards the injustice. I think we know that people care, but I think people don't know that they have power. Mm. Um, I think we forget we're no longer those kids. And and sometimes you can feel a bit stuck. It can take you, I mean, even today I was just like, oh, my inner child is crying because we done been through a lot. But um, (laughs) I think reminding us that we have, that we have power and that we have leverage. We have relationship. Um, I think once people like a lot of the time we just don't put those two dots together like oh yeah I actually can do something and it's actually really really simple um it's a lot like it's like that with active citizenry all the time I find that with civic education people are always like oh yeah I can actually contribute to the solution I didn't even realize so just creating that awareness that these are the steps that we can take um and these are some of the ways that we can facilitate change is Mm. just really the first and oftentimes the only step because people just don't know. And sometimes we just need to remind them that, hey guys, we actually, we have power and we can use it constructively um, and we can be better ancestors, yeah. And how, how do white people get involved from the preschool side all the way through to now that you've left your high school and you probably didn't even know what your black friend was going through. How do we get white people involved in the struggle? Because at the end of the day, it's not just a black people, it's not just a racial struggle, it's still a humanitarian issue that we're facing yeah I think and that's such a good question and thank you for bringing it back but I think um it's really for like theirs is really to listen and learn um ask the questions I've had it as well with my friends who are just like really surprised that like we had these interactions and we'd had these sorts of um experiences in the exact same school in the exact same class Mm. um theirs is really to listen so ask your friends what they experienced was don't just assume that we all had the same like rose tinted glasses on during during high school because it, it really wasn't for a lot of us um that's if now you're sort of post high school I would say educate your kids man like your kids be saying the wildest things probably <laughs> because from you or wherever the case may be but like really educate your kids because they're also inflicting trauma on us. And it's crazy that like at such an early age, we need to kind of be dealing with that. Mm. Um, Yeah, really teach your kids how to be allies so that they as well can be great ancestors. Um, And I think, yeah, just to amplify whatever is being said by young black people, um, don't invalidate our lived experiences. Don't look for reasons to disqualify what we're saying. Oh, but she could have meant, no. Mm -mm. we know racism when we see it when we feel it 
it's as sometimes as insidious as a look that's given in a moment. And as a black person, you just know. Like you just know. <laughs> you know what that look right? is. You know what that look is. Um, and so don't invalidate me on something that I'm an expert in, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I live it every day. I don't need you to tell me what it is and what it isn't, what it can and what it can't be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just to, just to support, you know, support, say that you'll sit in on the sessions where people are rewriting a constitution or, yeah, I think it's really just a support, a learn, listen and support kind of role that they need to be taking. Mm. And yeah, I think just almost leading like near to now conclusion, but like when we're, when we're talking now what's happening in these kind of situations where teachers are inflicting this trauma upon students and also students inflicting these traumas upon other students, what happens to these teachers? What should happen? How, what's the right step of action for teachers and students as well? What's the rehabilitation process? Yeah, look, I think oh, some teachers are saying the wildest stuff. So really, <laughs> I think it's a case sort of scenario. If you have teachers using slurs, you know, mm. calling kids monkeys and um, really just belittling, insulting and being outwardly racist, then for me, it's no question about it. Bye-bye. Bye. Fine. <laughs> um, and I don't think you should be able to just go get a job elsewhere. I think it should be as strict as, you know, that's you in education done, you know, unless yeah. you've gone through a rehabilitation process. Um, there would need to be one where we can really sort of determine that you are able to provide a safe learning because that's literally what it, you cannot create a safe learning environment for kids. So why you're on kids? Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, and I've heard some wild things yeah no I think there definitely needs to be really harsh consequences that involve not just a suspension but you need to lose your job Mm -hmm. it's a crime to you know like that is not even up for debate but I think where um, comments are made and lines are maybe a little bit more blurred and that's really that's where the challenge is right in that gray area Mm. I think there needs to be an open discussion I think students need to feel safe enough to say look you said this and these are the undertones that it has and this is how it made me feel so I'd like for you to be aware of that I don't think there's anything wrong with that Mm -hmm. but I do think that um what am I trying to say for it to have serious consequences it needs to be taken seriously to begin with yeah um and so it starts right at the top if you have a principal that doesn't take it seriously, you're going to have faculty heads who don't take it seriously. You're going to have staff members who don't take it seriously. Um, and it's just going to lead to more trauma being inflicted on students. So mm-hmm. I think it's really important that the principals are well-informed and are allies to the cause. Mm. I remember, um, and I don't want to misquote the school, so I'm not going to mention names, but there was a boys, an all-boys school I want to say it was here in Joburg, yeah, it was here in Joburg, um, where a couple of years ago, I was still in high school, but the, the vice principal on one of the speech days had actually given a lecture to the boys on white privilege. Mm-hmm. And it was not, it was, I mean, the parents were in absolute uproar um, and it was just a, a horrible display of white guilt and white tears from the faculty and um, and the parents who thought it was just absolutely ridiculous that this white male principal would lecture boys on white privilege but I think it starts from the top if you have someone who's courageous 
and willing to have those conversations, it filters down. In the same way, if you have someone who is nonchalant and kind of harbors these really um, insidious or, or biased um, prejudices against Black people, it also filters down because people figure out, oh, well, we can say this and get away with it, you mm. know? Yeah. yeah. And bring it back to what we were saying about the rehabilitation system. I just realized that I don't even think our country has any form of rehabilitation system for these situations, which is shocking and embarrassing for a country like ours. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't think we can consider the TRC a successful rehabilit. I don't know who it rehabilitated, but I, I definitely haven't seen anything. <laughs> anything of that work. What does what does a constructive rehabilitation system looks like? That's an interesting question. Sure. I think I think it looks like learning, a lot of learning. I think it looks like self-work, um, being able to identify moments in your own life where you have discriminated against others or um, have discriminatory thoughts. Because um, it's, it's so subtle right? Mm. Sometimes you, people won't even catch themselves having these thoughts. And it's not just to say that ra- it's just racism, it's trans and, and um, homophobia or fat phobia, whatever the case may be, we all have these little biases. But I think once you're able to kind of regulate your own thoughts against a checklist or um, against a deeper moral understanding, it becomes easier for you to recognize that, okay, here's where I have a problem and here's how I fix it. So I think a a rehabilitation system would be one that really just exposes the way we each think, um, the prejudices that we each hold, um, and how they're harmful, you know? Mm. Hmm. I I, I genuinely like that. It sums up really nicely how we want to look forward from where we are. Because where we are right now, it's shocking and embarrassing to say the least oh yeah no that's for sure that is for sure thank you so much Cassandra I really enjoyed having this conversation I think more of these need to happen as tired as we are I know that to be great ancestors means we need to keep going oh 100 percent, and we will we'll keep going we'll and keep- that's the thing but as long as there's we can always tag in you know we can take it in turns. We don't always have to exhaust ourselves all the time. Um, but it just needs, it needs all of us to collectively work together. Parents, teachers, students, past students. It, it, it's going to take all of us. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. That was such a profound conversation with many lessons learned. Remember that you can be an activist within your small community. Go speak to the schools. Make sure you're tackling racism within the schools. Parents, become part of the PTA. We need to be more involved as a community. We hope you enjoyed this and we're looking forward to your further engagement. Don't forget to send us voice messages. You can find the link for that in the description for activating youth activism, hashtag youth are leading.